Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People x Rel. Danny Rivera vs. Superintendent, Woodbourne Correctional Facility, decided on June 15, 2023. Singas, J. At issue in this case is whether the Sexual Assault Reform Acts, Sarah, School Grounds Condition, as codified in Executive Law Section 259c, 14, violates the ex post facto clause of the United States Constitution when applied to offenders whose crimes predated the 2005 amendments to SARA. We hold that petitioner has not met his burden to demonstrate, by the clearest proof, that it does. 1. In 1986, petitioner was convicted of two counts of murder in the second degree, two counts of attempted murder in the second degree, and one count of rape in the first degree, stemming from an incident where petitioner, acting in concert with four co-offenders, shot four individuals, killing two and wounding two others. Petitioner also raped one victim, a 25-year-old woman whom he later shot three times. Petitioner was sentenced to an aggregate prison term of 20 years to life. In April 2019, Petitioner was granted an open parole release date of May 23, 2019. At his Sex Offender Registration Act, SORA, hearing held prior to his anticipated release, Petitioner was adjudicated a Level 3 sexually violent offender. The Level 3 SORA designation, and the fact that Petitioner is serving a sentence for an offense enumerated in Executive Law Section 259c. 14. Subjects Petitioner to Sarah's school grounds condition, which effectively prohibits him from living within 1,000 feet of a school, or, any other facility or institution primarily used for the care or treatment of minors. Petitioner was unable to locate Sarah-compliant housing before his open release date. Because Petitioner did not satisfy the mandatory parole condition, he remained in custody until he could locate suitable housing. In October 2020, Petitioner filed a petition for a writ of habeas corpus, seeking immediate release on the grounds that Sarah's residency restriction, enacted after Petitioner committed his crimes, violated the ex post facto clause of the federal constitution as applied to him. Supreme Court granted Petitioner's application and held that application of both Sora and Sarah to Petitioner violated the ex post facto clause because the effect of the residency restriction in prolonging Petitioner's incarceration past his release date was punitive. The court ordered respondents, Woodbourne Correctional Facility Superintendent and the New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, collectively, docs, to release petitioner to parole supervision and enjoined docs from applying the school grounds condition to him. Petitioner remained incarcerated pursuant to stays of Supreme Court's judgment until March 2021, at which time Sarah-compliant housing became available and he was released to parole supervision. The appellate division unanimously reversed the judgment on the law. The court held that DOCS's adherence to its statutory obligation of imposing Sarah residency restrictions does not constitute a violation of the ex post facto clause. Applying the Supreme Court's intent effects test, the court acknowledged that Sarah's residency restriction constitutes affirmative restraint, bears some resemblance to historical criminal punishment, and serves the goal of deterrence. 
However, the court concluded that the condition does not violate the ex post facto clause because it is both rationally related to a conceivable, legitimate government purpose of keeping level 3 sex offenders more than 1,000 feet away from schools. Johnson v. Superintendent, Adirondack Corps, Facility, and tailored to impose the greatest restrictions on the riskiest sex offenders, quoting Wallace v. State of New York. We granted petitioners motion for leave to appeal. 2. Originally enacted in 2000 as a provision of SARA, a statutory scheme designed to better protect the public, and especially children, from sex offenders determined to pose the most risk, matter of Alvarez v. Anucci, Executive Law Section 259c. 14. Imposed a mandatory condition prohibiting certain sex offenders from entering school grounds or other child care facilities. The condition originally applied only to those sex offenders whose crimes were committed against victims under 18 years old. In 2005, the legislature amended the provision and expanded the reach of this condition in two respects. First, the legislature adopted a broader definition of school grounds, as set forth in Penal Law Section 220.00.14.b, to include any area accessible to the public located within 1,000 feet of a school or child care facility. Second, the legislature applied the school grounds condition to a second group of offenders, those designated level 3 sex offenders serving a sentence for an enumerated offense, people ex-rel. Negron versus Superintendent, Woodbourne Corps. Facility. Within these two categories of sex offenders, the condition applies only to those who are on parole, conditional release, or, subject to a period of post-release supervision, matter of Alvarez. Though Executive Law Section 259c, 14, is not a residency restriction by its explicit language, the, practical effect, of the condition, is that any sex offender who is subject to it is unable to reside within 1,000 feet of a school or facility as defined in Penal Law Section 220.00, b. People versus Dieck. In practice, DOCS requires subject offenders to secure SARA-compliant housing prior to, and as a condition of, their release. In the event these offenders are unable to find compliant housing prior to their expected release date, DOCS will not release them. Rather, those who are set to begin supervised release are either transferred to residential treatment facilities, RTFs, see People X Rel. McCurdy v. Warden, Westchester County Corps. Facility, or remain in prison, Johnson, depending on the terms of the individual offender's sentence. Docs will only release these offenders when they secure compliant housing. Petitioner's argument focuses exclusively on the carceral effect of Executive Law Section 259c, 14. While Petitioner maintains that his claim challenges both SORA and SARA, Petitioner does not assert that the effects of SORA, beyond its operation by which petitioner was adjudicated a level 3 offender subjecting him to Sarah's school grounds condition, are punitive. As such, only Executive Law Section 259c, 14, is at issue in this case. 3. The United States Constitution's ex post facto clause prohibits states from retroactively altering the definition of crimes or increasing the punishment for criminal acts, Collins v. Youngblood. The ex post facto prohibition applies only to penal statutes, and where the challenged statute does not seek to impose a punishment, it does not run afoul of the ex post facto clause, Kellogg v. Travis. To determine whether a statute violates the ex post facto clause, 
Courts apply the Supreme Court's intent effects test. See Smith v. Doe. This two-pronged inquiry first considers whether the legislature intended the relevant statute to be punitive or civil in nature. If the legislature intended the statute to be punitive, its retroactive application to conduct that predates the statute violates the ex post facto clause. If not, a court must then consider whether the statute is so punitive either in purpose or effect as to negate the intention to deem it civil, quoting Kansas v. Hendricks. The parties agree that Sarah was not intended to be a punitive statutory scheme. Indeed, this court's precedent, as well as Sarah's legislative history, confirms that the legislature enacted Executive Law Section 259c. 14. To protect children from sex offenders, not to punish those offenders, see Matter of Alvarez. Johnson. Thus, only the effects prong of the inquiry is at issue. That is, whether the effects of the school grounds condition are so punitive as to negate the legislature's intent to deem Sarah a civil statutory scheme. Legislative enactments enjoy a strong presumption of constitutionality, La Valle v. Hayden. Only the clearest proof will suffice to override legislative intent and transform what has been denominated a civil remedy into a criminal penalty. Smith. Quoting Hudson v. United States. The clearest proof requirement is a heavy burden on the party challenging the statute, Hendricks. Moreover, this court may not consider an as-applied challenge to Executive Law Section 259c. 14. See Selling v. Young. Because the civil nature of a statutory scheme cannot be altered based merely on vagaries in the implementation of the authorizing statute, an as-applied analysis would never conclusively resolve whether a particular scheme is punitive and would thereby prevent a final determination of the scheme's validity under the ex post facto clause. Instead, we must assess the statute on its face and consider the effects of as they are generally felt by those who are subject to them. Maguire v. Marshall. See also Smith. The United States Supreme Court has set forth several relevant factors that may serve as useful guideposts in considering whether the effects of a statute are so punitive as to render its retroactive application unconstitutional. Hudson. Most relevant to our analysis are five such factors. 1. Whether the condition constitutes an affirmative restraint. 2. Whether the condition resembles historically criminal punishment. 3. Whether the condition promotes the traditional aims of punishment. 4. Whether the condition is rationally connected to a nonpunitive purpose. And. 5. Whether the condition is excessive in relation to that nonpunitive purpose, Kennedy v. Mendoza-Martinez. See also Smith. Evaluating Executive Law Section 259c, 14. Within the intent effects framework, the first three factors tend to weigh in petitioner's favor but are not themselves dispositive. First, the school grounds condition is an affirmative restraint to the extent that it prohibits offenders from entering, working in, or residing near designated areas where children are regularly expected to be in large numbers, matter of Williams versus Department of Corps, and community supervision. For those offenders who, like petitioner, are unable to secure Sarah-compliant housing, the condition may result in the paradigmatic affirmative disability or restraint, incarceration, Smith. However, this is not an as-applied challenge in Executive Law Section 259c, 14, S. Carceral effect on the entire group of offenders to whom it applies is unclear from the record. Though this court has recognized that there is a dearth of Sarah compliant housing, in New York City, 
matter of Gonzalez v. Anucci, petitioner has failed to establish the extent to which Executive Law Section 259c. 14. affects all of the sex offenders to whom it applies. Petitioner has not provided any data on how many offenders have experienced or are experiencing prolonged incarceration due, either entirely or in part, to Sarah's school grounds condition. Nor does the record contain other relevant information such as how many offenders are successful in locating Sarah-compliant housing prior to their anticipated release. The proportion of offenders who are subject to the condition by virtue of committing their crime against a victim under 18 years old, their level 3 designation, or both. The proportion of adjudicated sex offenders subject to the school grounds condition at all. Or maps outlining the restricted geographic areas throughout the state which fall within the definition of school grounds. Judge Rivera's dissent acknowledges that the intent effects test requires focus on the punitive nature of the scheme itself not on any idiosyncratic application of the law to an individual petitioner, and characterizes the carceral effect of the school grounds condition as a common reality. Nevertheless, the dissent inconsistently asserts that the size of the class subject to the residency restriction is irrelevant to petitioner's facial ex post facto clause challenge, and that the fact that some offenders identify compliant housing in time for their release date, and thus are not kept in prison, does not change the analysis. Whether an effect is idiosyncratic or common necessarily rests on the proportion of the subjected class experiencing the effect. In fact, this is the crux of the ex post facto analysis. Further, the scope of Sarah's impact is limited in that subject offenders are only constrained by the condition while serving their sentence, as the condition applies only to those released on parole, conditional release, or subject to a period of post-release supervision, matter of Alvarez. Sarah's school grounds restriction, then, is effectively a parole condition and every parole condition constitutes an affirmative restraint which the Board of Parole has broad statutory authority to impose. For some, these conditions serve to reduce one's incarceration by allowing release before the expiration of a valid sentence, which is not a constitutional or inherent right of a convicted person, Greenholtz v. Inmates of Neb. Penal and Core. Complex. Both at the time petitioner committed his crimes and at his open release date, the Board of Parole possessed the power and duty of determining whether petitioner could be released and under what conditions. Such conditions include individualized residency restrictions. An additional condition does not equate to increased punishment where an offender anticipating supervised release expects the imposition of dozens of restrictions that must be satisfied prior to release. See also McCurdy. Section 259C, 14's general effect is thus no greater than other parole conditions which undisputedly apply to petitioner. Second, the school grounds condition bears some resemblance to the historical punishment of banishment. Offenders subject to Executive Law Section 259C, 14, must tailor much of their lives around these restricted zones, forced to forego certain employment and housing opportunities. Some offenders may be alienated from their friends and families who reside near a school or child care facility. For those offenders, like petitioner, experiencing prolonged confinement while awaiting the availability of Sarah-compliant housing, the condition temporarily removes them from society. Critically, however, the condition does not preclude sex offenders from living and traveling within their communities and throughout the state. The condition does not even entirely prohibit sex offenders from venturing into restricted areas, 
Even if they cannot reside there and or access such areas during school hours, Wallace. Some offenders, perhaps even the overwhelming majority, find housing or employment opportunities without feeling the effects of the school grounds condition. Third, we must consider whether the condition promotes the traditional aims of punishment, deterrence, incapacitation, rehabilitation, and retribution. See People vs. No T. People vs. Golden. Docs concedes that the condition is intended to promote deterrence. The restriction employs the threat of a parole violation and possible reincarceration to deter sex offenders from entering into areas where children congregate. A kind of specific deterrence. See Black's Law Dictionary 564. But this factor is of limited value here as civil regulatory schemes may deter crime without imposing punishment. And, to hold that the mere presence of a deterrent purpose renders such sanctions criminal would severely undermine the government's ability to engage in effective regulation. Smith. Application of Sarah's school grounds condition also results here in incapacitation, and generally promotes the aim of incarceration by limiting sex offenders' opportunities for recidivism. See Matter of Williams. Similar to deterrence, however, incapacitation can also rightly be described as civil and regulatory and does not automatically transform a civil statute into a punitive one. Snyder. C.E.G. Hendricks, United States v. Salerno. The most significant factor in the ex post facto analysis is the fourth, which requires consideration of whether the statute has a rational connection to a nonpunitive purpose. Smith. And here, weighs heavily against petitioner. This court recently considered this question in evaluating a substantive due process challenge to Executive Law Section 259 c. 14, c. Johnson. As this court held in that case, the temporary confinement of sex offenders in correctional facilities, while on a waiting list for Sarah compliant housing, is rationally related to a conceivable, legitimate government purpose of keeping level 3 sex offenders more than 1,000 feet away from schools, Johnson. That purpose is nonpunitive, as discussed, because it aims to ensure that those who, as level 3 sex offenders, pose a high risk of recidivism, do not have contact with minors while awaiting confirmation of appropriate residence. Petitioner cites scholarship questioning the efficacy of residency restrictions on sex offense recidivism. On this record, the empirical data, while troubling if taken at face value, is hardly conclusive in petitioner's favor and we have no record of this scholarship's methodology or whether it has been subjected to peer review analysis. Docs similarly does not provide information on the efficacy of residency restrictions. This record provides an insufficient basis for reconsideration of our prior determination in Johnson. Moreover, that other, perhaps more effective, legislative measures exist to advance Sarah's nonpunitive purpose does not negate the rational connection between that purpose and Sarah's school grounds condition. Certainly, the choice of which rational policy measure to enact falls squarely within the legislature's discretion. The wisdom of a particular statute is beyond the scope of judicial review and we should not substitute our judgment for that employed by the legislature in enacting the statute in question, A.E. Nettleton Company v. Diamond. Indeed, when a legislative enactment is challenged on constitutional grounds, there is a presumption that the legislature has investigated for and found facts necessary to support the legislation, White v. Cuomo. When determining which restrictions should be placed on sex offenders in order to best promote public safety, it is the legislature and not this court that can, and perhaps should, hold hearings, 
invite expert testimony, and gather all relevant scholarship. Petitioner's efficacy argument thus fails, at this juncture, to disprove the rational connection between the school grounds condition and the legislature's nonpunitive purpose in enacting it. Finally, concerning the statute's proportionality to its nonpunitive purpose of protecting children, the question similarly is not, whether the legislature has made the best choice possible to address the problem it seeks to remedy, but instead, whether the regulatory means chosen are reasonable in light of the nonpunitive objective, Smith. Unlike the broadly and automatically applied residency restrictions of other states, CEG does versus Waston, residency restriction applies to all sex offender registrants, bets, school grounds condition applies to, most, sex offender, registrants, Starkey versus Oklahoma Department of Corps. Residency restriction applies to all sex offender registrants, Commonwealth versus Baker, while the original residency restriction statute applied only to those on probation or other form of supervised release. The current statute applies to all registrants regardless of probation or parole status. New York school grounds condition is carefully tailored so as to burden only two, possibly overlapping, populations of sex offenders that the legislature has assessed as presenting the severest threat to children. Offenders who have already abused children and offenders adjudicated level 3 offenders, convicted of an enumerated offense, Wallace. In limiting the condition's application to these two categories of offenders, those most likely to re-offend, the legislature has ensured a measure of individualized assessment prior to the condition's imposition. Offenders who have committed sex offenses against children have shown themselves capable of harming children and those adjudicated level 3 under SORA have undergone an individualized assessment by a judge of their calculated risk to re-offend and the threat they present to public safety, People v. Perez. Indeed, it is because of that fact-intensive adjudication that level 3 offenders serving a sentence for an enumerated offense are subject to this condition at all. Every court, in conducting SORA hearings, considers the unique lived experiences, circumstances, and conduct of each offender, and no hearing results in a level 3 risk assessment in precisely the same manner. Importantly, these adjudications consider facts beyond a sex offender's underlying crime and conviction, including their conduct since the commission of their crimes, people versus calf, and whether the offender has a history of drug or alcohol abuse, people versus Palmer. Further, the school grounds condition applies only as long as the offender is on parole, probation, or conditional release. In other words, it applies only while the offender is still serving their sentence, matter of Alvarez. For many offenders, the condition is a temporary imposition, and for all, the condition expires when the sentence terminates. The legislature's careful application of Sarah's school grounds condition to the populations of sex offenders who have demonstrated the highest risk to the health and safety of children cannot be deemed excessive. The ex post facto clause does not preclude a state from making reasonable categorical judgments that conviction of specified crimes should entail particular regulatory consequences. Rather, a legislature's determination to legislate with respect to convicted sex offenders as a class does not make the statute a punishment under the ex post facto clause, Smith. Even if the legislature could impose individualized assessment beyond what already occurs, the legislature is not required to act with perfect precision, and its decision to cast a net wider than what might be absolutely necessary does not transform an otherwise regulatory measure into a punitive sanction, Doe v. Pataki.
undoubtedly, requiring petitioner to satisfy Executive Law Section 259C. 14. S. School grounds condition before he is entitled to release may result in harsh consequences. But, a statutory scheme that serves a regulatory purpose, is not, necessarily, punishment, for ex post facto purposes, even though it may bear harshly on one affected, quoting Fleming v. Nestor. The mere fact that a person is detained does not inexorably lead to the conclusion that the government has imposed punishment, Salerno, and it does not here. Certainly, there are level 3 offenders who abide by the school grounds condition and are released from confinement when expected. While some factors may favor petitioner, the most significant factors decisively militate against finding a constitutional violation. We are unable to conclude from this record that prolonged incarceration is a common result of Executive Law Section 259 c. 14. Rather than an idiosyncratic effect and the Supreme Court has expressly disapproved of evaluating the civil nature of a statute by reference to the effect that statute has on a single individual. Petitioner has failed to meet the heavy burden of demonstrating, by the clearest proof, that the effects of Executive Law Section 259c, 14, are so punitive as to negate the legislature's intention to deem it civil, Smith. We therefore cannot disturb the legislature's judgment and conclude that the provision, on its face, violates the ex post facto clause of the United States Constitution. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division insofar as appealed from should be affirmed, without costs. Order insofar as appealed from affirmed, without costs. Opinion by Judge Singas. Judges Garcia, Canatero and Troutman concur. Judge Rivera dissents in an opinion, in which Chief Judge Wilson concurs. Judge Halligan dissents in a separate opinion. Decided June 15, 2023. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law www.nypti.org slash law